Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Once again, I am uh, on vacation, and so uh, programming for this week is going to be a little bit different. Uh, what I'm going to do is, for this episode that is going to go up on Monday, uh, it is going to be a solo episode in which I'm going to cover uh, just some of the assorted news items that have come out. Um, you know, there's been... Fun developments at the Rico Hines runs, uh, although some of the conversations have not been so fun. So I will get into those, especially those surrounding Pascal. Um, but, you know, Steph Curry showed up, Trey Young showed up, you know, the Pistons showed up. Uh, so that was a, a fun time. And, uh, you know, some thoughts on those. Uh, Speed Mihalik got waived. Um, so, again, we can have another discussion about end of the roster and, and who makes it and the options and stuff like that. Uh, and what else? Christian Coloco got his contract. Um, no big surprises there. Nothing too much to talk about. Basically, once Kevin Durant uh, announced that he was going to stay in Brooklyn, at least for the time being, uh, a lot of the uh, need for flexibility in the contract, stuff like that, kind of went out the window. And it was sort of, let's just get his deal done, which I'm sure was already done, probably contingent on a couple of different scenarios. But Basically, the framework was already worked out, and uh, now it's been official. He signed a three-year deal. No big surprises there. Pretty nice contract uh, for both him and also the roster itself because, um, while well, one, you get a true center. Uh, two, you get a player who is going to be under contract for three years, which means that at the end of his uh, deal, uh, you get him as a restricted free agent at that point. Uh, and it seems like the Raptors really do believe in Christian for a good reason. Uh, as we have seen so far at some of these runs. And so good bit of business there. And then um, just a little bit uh, of other thoughts on just, uh, you know, how the Raptors can get to 50 plus wins, because that's sort of been my uh, line of thinking, especially if you listen to some of the other episodes that have dropped recently, uh, the one with Vivek um, in particular, we sort of went through some of the scenarios. Vivek brought up that great stat about how the Raptors in previous seasons will go like 38 and two against teams under 500. And last season, they were just okay. Uh, they were about, you know, 28 and 18 or something like that, 28 and 20. Like, you know, obviously, if they take care of business against the lower-end opponents, uh, I think you'll get to 50 wins. But there are a couple other things that I didn't really quite get to on that show that I kind of wanted to sort of leave here. So that's going to be today's episode of uh, the Raptor Show. And then later in the week, uh, most likely on Wednesday, uh, I'm going to drop the uh, another <laughs> banter pod with Alex because yes just because I'm on vacation and and booking guests and, and you know finding great internet and you know finding time to, to to record everything is uh is difficult however you know we know, we know what the, the the star of the the, the program is especially during the offseason and of course that is the banter pod which uh is 50% love of the game 50% love of the fame uh salute to the light year boys so um yeah look out for the the two pods this week so as for this one um, so the Rico Hines runs pretty much the only thing that's going on, uh, although it's been really, really great. I know sort of I've come back and forth on the idea of like, you know, how useful are these runs? Ultimately, it is practice. I'm not really trying to go back on any of that because I, I think absolutely that is still very much the case. But I have to say um, this year in particular, we have gotten so much great access, unfiltered access into what the Raptors offseason looks like. Um, because of the fact that we've seen so many players show up uh, and play. I mean, to the point where we're seeing Raptor Team A versus Raptor Team B, and you're just seeing a live practice, essentially. And, uh, you know, 
again, the, the, all the caveats still apply. It is still a scrimmage. It's still practice in the summertime. You know, you can't read into all of it. Like I saw some people complaining, well, the play calls are bad. I'm like, the play calls are bad. There are no coaches. Like Nick Nurse is not in that gym. And yes, you have Earl, uh, Earl Watson and you have Rico Hines, who are longtime runners of the UCLA runs, both being UCLA alum themselves. Um, Yes, they're there, and yes, they're after coaches, but they're not there to like you know tell them, hey, look, we're gonna come out of this timeout and run, you know, uh, motion week. We're gonna run an elevator doors on the side of floor. Like, no, it's it's a pickup run, which means that it is ninety nine percent pick and roll and isos, uh, which again is not a surprise. However, you know, put on putting aside all the caveats, it's just fun, man. It's just fun to be literally able to go on YouTube every single day and see the Raptors there. Like, you know, the, every single video that you see dropped features Pascal Siakam, features Christian Coloco, features guys like DJ Wilson and and, and Jeff Doughton and, and Ron Harper Jr., some of the guys on the end of the bench, Delano Banton, right? These guys are literally in every single video. And then, of course, most of the videos contain other starters. We've seen OG pull up. We've seen Precious um, come through, especially – uh, in the more recent episodes, we've seen um, Fred as a pretty prominent member. We've seen Gary. Uh, Chris Boucher has been in and out, and he's looked really nice every time he's in. Very impressed by sort of seeing his um, contributions in these sort of settings. Um, you know, Malachi, Scotty, like these guys are there all the time. So it's just it's just nice. Like I don't even think about like putting aside the the practice and the basketball improvement portion of it, like just the content portion. Um, we're just very, very lucky as Raptor fans because, you know, of course the Raptors have used the Rico Hines runs before. I think the most famous example of this was uh, during the summer of 2017 when the bench mob uh, at that time, which was Pascal, which was DeLon Wright, Norman Powell, Fred Van Vliet, Jakob Pertl, um, these kind of guys got a lot of run together and they were able to have a great season um, because of that that's probably one of the first time when people really sort of clued into how important the Raptors involvement at the UCLA runs was. But in this year in particular, the amount of involvement far exceeds any of the previous summers. And to be honest, like you're, you're getting to see so much content about the team during a time where it's completely dead. Like if you've asked me, what are the Cleveland Cavaliers doing this off season? You might say, well, yeah, I, I saw like, you know, Darius Garland release like a little blog about his workouts and, um, you know, I've seen Mobley at some random run with KD one time, or I guess Colin Sexton is still a restricted free agent, but obviously he's probably going to come back. You know, he's in in some runs here and there. Um, but you don't get to see, like, the actual whole team day in and day out. Like, literally, you can go on YouTube every single day and see what the Raptors are up to. So that's been fun. Um, and, of course, recently it's been great, great because, um, you know, obviously the UCLA runs, like, taking place in L.A. and things like that, like, you get a lot of stars because uh, there's no place NBA players love to be more than LA. Uh, like I would say it feels like half the whole league spends their off season there. A lot of training facilities there, obviously this being one of those examples. Uh, and because of where it's situated, you're getting to see lots of pretty prominent players appear at the runs. Now, of course, in previous years, you saw guys like Kevin Durant, uh, Paul George this year is gone. Um, James Harden goes quite often as well. A lot of those guys are LA people anyway, but uh, this latest episode, you get to see Steph and Trey Young show up along with Michael Porter Jr. Um, they ended up playing, uh, who was the five? I think, um, Kavon Looney was there, uh, I guess UCLA alum and also, um, 
who was the fifth? Oh, Damian Lee. Right, right. Uh, family, I guess, uh, for Steph. And also, I guess, a player who's been on the Warriors and now is on the Suns and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, you got to see them come together and play. And, yeah, it's great to see Raptors have some competition in that sense. Um, although, when you look at the results, um, Raptors went 6-0. and Again, this is not about the results. It's not really about what, whether guys made or missed shots. It's not even necessarily about how the guys played, but... It's always nice. Um, I think one thing to look for in these videos is that usually when you see a fresh set of videos, uh, what Rico will do is he will film the winner's court, which is usually in the middle. And if you see the Raptors on that court a lot, it means the Raptors have won a lot. And then, of course, then the day after usually shows the the, you know, the second court or even comes combination of the second and the third courts. Uh, and those are for the teams that, you know, have not really won a lot. And those videos, you actually don't see a lot of Raptors. But in any case, you got to see the Raptors play against some of the, uh, you know, at least best point guards in the league. Um, Steph and Trey got to be <laughs> anywhere in the, at minimum, you would say Trey is like the third best point guard in the league. So um, that was fun. Um, but oddly enough, it didn't become that fun to me because, so what I thought was really interesting was, um, you know, there's a stretch there and there, probably, there pretty much is a stretch in all of these videos where at some point you got the Raptors A squad, which always features Pascal always feature Christian Coloco and then probably, you know, whichever starters come through or whatever vets come through, they come through. So like in this case, the Raptors A team A would be like Fred, Pascal, Gary, Christian Coloco, Chris Boucher, right? And you got to see an entire Raptors squad, a Raptors A versus Raptors B, which was in this case, Delano Banton, which was Precious Ochua, Malachi Flynn, DJ Wilson, and Jeff Downton Jr. And in those clips are always interesting to me because I just think about the idea of like, okay, maybe the intensity in the summer, um, league setting or summer run setting isn't that high but at the same time when you're talking about the first stringers versus the second stringers just inherently that's got to be pretty exciting right like these are guys that you know these are guys that you're familiar with their games these are guys that you played all the time um and so especially for the second stringers i'm sure they would love a chance to get at uh the first stringers right and so there was some of this intensity and and watching one of the recent videos is actually really fun to see the game tied at 6-6, next point wins, and to sort of see the back and forth. And it was quite competitive. You know, um, I posted this clip on Twitter. You can find it on my Twitter account. You can also obviously just walk through, watch through the videos. I think it's about 11-minute mark on one of these recent ones. Um, but, yeah, it was that scenario, next point wins. And the competitiveness was was quite high. You, you saw Pascal chasing back in transition, defending, I think, three on one or three on two and ended up uh, coming up with a spectacular chase down block uh, on Jeff Doughton to, uh, to, to preserve the game at that point. Then you saw Fred with some uh, cheeky defense against Malachi Flynn, jarring the ball loose off a of pick and roll and creating the turnover. And then by that point, Raptor squad, a, it's like, obviously they got Fred and Pascal. So they're going to run their usual offense that they usually do. The little two man actions. Sometimes Fred will uh, screen to get Pascal a switch to attack, but ultimately it's it's pretty much those two guys working in tandem. And it's funny because there was like four straight plays, and maybe one of them was questionable. I thought Pascal posting up pressures was a little questionable. Um, I, I didn't think pressures fouled him, but whatever. There was plenty of contact. If you want to call that a foul, there were some sort of subtle movements there. I don't really know. Pascal went for the spin. Uh, I got the shot off. The, the shot just rimmed out, um, but he got the foul call anyway, so they're able to hold possession. But basically, there was like four straight plays where Fred and Pascal attacked and they got fouled. Uh, and then finally, uh, after Pascal went for a shot, got blocked by Dalton, collected his own rebound. <laughs> like, I don't know, Dalton tried to come back at him, uh, fell over as Pascal spun and then got into the lane. Precious tried to foul him again, didn't really work out. 
Pascal gets the lane, um, puts up the floater. It bounces out again, but this time Gary Trent Jr. is there for the putback. Whatever. I just thought it was really fun. And then the very end, Fred says, uh, well, I can't really say, but, you know, to, to paraphrase, Fred said, you know, get these guys off the court. Right, talking about the uh, Raptors B uh, team, which, by the way, afterwards, after the whole run is over, you know, you saw the speeches. Usually, Rico gives some space to um, the veterans in the run to give some, you know, just give their advice on sort of how the day went. And he sort of passed the mic over to Fred, and Fred was talking about just sort of like you gotta, you gotta like defend without fouling. You gotta defend without fouling. Which, by the way, on, on a Raptors context, absolutely, the Raptors gotta defend without fouling. That's one of the weaknesses of their game. That's probably the only. Well, that's not the only weakness of their defense because I think that, like, you know, there are certain matchups, obviously, the MB types, um, they struggle against without a natural fit. Uh, and you might argue sometimes they, they give up a lot of threes. Um, I would say probably they gave up the right threes from the right guys on the right spots, but sometimes they give up a lot of threes. But ultimately, the one undeniable uh, fact of the Raptors' defense is that they foul a lot, right? So Fred was sort of talking about the fouling. Anyway, this whole conversation sort of, was cool to me. And so I posted this two minute clip of like, here's what Raptors practice will look like. Right. And the conversation just really shifted towards like Pascal and him not being able to score in the clutch or him not being able to close out a game, which, which I thought, look, look, first off, the guy got fouled a lot. Okay. Getting fouled in, in crunch time is actually a very good thing, but fine. You want to say he didn't ultimately make the shot in that clip. There's no denying that fully down, make the shot in that clip, got blocked a couple times. Okay, absolutely. Like, you know what? He could have done a better job in that scenario. For me, again, the big caveat I had to say at the very start, these are summer league runs. You got to just be chill about it. Like, literally, they're just guys are in there to work. Guys are in there to sort of get some conditioning, you know, even in this kind of intense setting, whatever. But at the same time, I can't deny it. I've seen Pascal try to use these sort of similar moves or the similar approach in these scenarios. So I can see why some people got on him. But also, at the same time, it was just weird because there was just so much negative attention. Like, you saw a lot of, like, you know, he's not able to deliver in the clutch. You saw, like, he should have – I can't believe Gary Trent Jr. didn't get a touch. Um, I, Something like, he's too ball dominant. Pascal's style is just nasty to look at. So that Like, there was just a lot of commentary, which, you know, you might say, well, listen, this is just what online is like, Twitter is like. It's no point in necessarily responding to these. I kind of agree, although, to be honest, in the offseason, there's not much discussion. So in order to make some content, you got to sort of make do with what's left out there. But, I mean, at the same time, it's like, one, he got fouled a lot, okay? Those were his trips to the free throw line. That's a good outcome for the offense. Two, they're not actually running offense. I saw some people sort of complaining about, well, you know, this is sort of an indictment of Nick Nurse's offense. And I'm like, Nick Nurse is not even in the gym, bro. <laughs> like, they're not running plays the way you sort of think in, that you normally would in an actual NBA game. Um, and also, three, is just like, I don't know, the Pascal Clutch discussion I'm not trying to say Pascal is some sort of like clutch game clinching option. Um, but when you look at just sort of even just look at his numbers last season, it's not nearly as dire as sort of I think some people make it out to be. I think it's like a pet peeve for some people that like they like to pick at it. And again, I'm not trying to say Pascal is some sort of, you know, Kawhi, Kobe level closer, you know, give him the ball, let him move out the way kind of stuff. Like we know that that's not his best attribute. A lot of that has to come down to the fact that his handle on his jumper isn't as sharp as like Hall of Famers, right? But putting that aside, if you just actually look at his clutch lumbers from last season, and I was, I was, because of this conversation, I was curious. I literally looked it up because I thought, okay, 
what do the numbers say in actual NBA games from last season, right? And Pascal closed a ton of games last season, so what do the results say? Well, first off, um, the clutch scenarios, the standard ones, plus or minus five points within the last five minutes of the game, fourth quarter or overtime. And in those scenarios, Pascal shot 22 or 55 from the field, which is 40% shooting. He had 19 assists and only four turnovers. But you might say, well, 40% shooting. There you go. He's inefficient in these scenarios, right? Clearly, we got him. Like, clearly, he's inefficient, and and clearly, he's a bad closer. However, I was like, well, contextually, this is when the defense is really locked in. This is when the defense is really tight. Um, This is when the players are their most exhausted. Uh, Let me at least see what the context is, right? So I thought about three of the best closers, you know, at least just off the top of my head that I could think of from last season. And I went with KD. I went with Steph Curry. I went with Jason Tatum, right? Two guys who were in the finals and then Kevin Durant, who's the greatest scorer, uh, pretty much, uh, while he's actively, but you know, probably all time. So out of those three guys, um, KD did the best. He shot 37 for 89 from the field in crunch time, uh, 42% shooting from the field. Uh, he had 14 turnovers and six, uh, uh, 14 assists and six turnovers. So two percentage points higher than Pascal, uh, on the field, um, and you know, less five less assists, two more turnovers. You know what? Not substantially higher. You might say, well, of course, some a lot of that is three point shots. Well, how could you just look at raw percentage? You're right. He made he did make eight threes. He was like he shot in twenty nine percent from three in crunch time. That's rounding up, and he made eight threes. All right, Pascal, I think he made five threes. Not actually that big of a difference when you look at the effective field goal percentage, but you know what? Maybe I could have run it through the effective field goal percentage. Either way, KD made slightly more shots than Pascal. We're talking about, you know, a few more makes here or there. Then I went to a guy like Steph Curry. Um, Steph was 27 for 75 in crunch type scenarios. That's 36% from the field, which you want to say, wow, that's that's really low. But he probably was making a ton of threes, so that probably changed, right? No, he was actually 19% on uh, clutch scenarios in threes last season. Obviously, in the playoffs, I would say just that has to be different in the playoffs. I'm sure he took to another level, just having watched the entirety of the playoffs. But regular season, this is really what the stats were. Uh, again, it's a lot of this small sample size. I'm not saying Steph Curry's a 19% three-point shooter. I might believe he's a 91% three-point shooter. But, like, you know, those are the numbers, okay? 36% from the field, 27 for 75, compared to 22 for 70, uh, 55 for a guy like Pascal. All right, moving down to Jason Tatum. Was like, you know what, this is probably the closest comparable. Um, you know, uh, both teams were, you know, just okay in the first half of the season. Second half of the season, the Celtics caught fire, the Raptors caught fire. A lot of that was Tatum, a lot of that was Pascal. Guys are both younger, right? KD and, and, and Steph, they're in their 30s. They've, you know, been there and done that as the number one guy on their teams for the championship. Um, let's compare sort of two up-and-coming kind of guys. Tatum, in crunch time scenarios last season, 29 for 78. From the field, which is 37%. And you might say, well, Tatum can shoot threes. You know, what did, you know, that probably is skewing things. Once again, you got to look at the effective field goal percentage. He shot two of 25 from three in crunch time scenarios last year. And he had seven assists against 13 turnovers. So again, when you put it within the context of like what other like elite closers, and I would very much say Katie's an elite closer, Steph Curry's an elite closer, Tatum. Honestly, I I would be very afraid of Tatum in a, in a crunch time scenario. So maybe it just heuristically for me, I would say he's an elite closer, although the stats here are not pretty. Within this context, like Pascal shooting 40% on 22 for 55 in, in crunch time with 19 assists and four turnovers last season is actually par for the course. And and this is a this is a hard course too. So 
I don't know. I, it, I guess what am I really trying to say other than people on the internet were mean about Pascal and it, it, I didn't really understand it. Um, I didn't understand sort of getting on him so hard for uh, uh, like literally an informal pickup setting. Uh, I don't understand sort of people getting on him so hard for just not being to close in general. I think, again, I wouldn't say he's an elite closer, but his numbers and his efficiency last year in crunch time, pretty decent. Um, again, relative to the competition, pretty decent. Obviously, you would like your guy to shoot you know, 50% and, you know, never turn the ball over and, and knock down all of his threes and all that stuff. But you no know, one's saying that about Pascal, but I just don't think that there was a lot of evidence that he couldn't close games last season. Um, And yeah, even when you look at the Raptors, like overall team numbers, you know, the Raptors were at least seventh last season in crunch time offensive efficiency, uh, top 10 mark in terms of uh, overall crunch time net rating as well. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, they had a good record in, in close games. A lot of those games were closed out by Pascal. Um, this conversation kind of just went nowhere. But to me, it was like, where does this conversation come from? And I think my, my overall impression was just like, there is still like a, a substantial, maybe not the majority anymore, but like a, a, a not an insignificant minority of people, whether they're within the Raptor fan base or even just generally in the NBA fan base, where their perception of Pascal is still very much like, yeah, I don't believe him. I don't believe in this guy. I don't really see him as you know, um, someone who can do it at the highest level, there's something fraudulent about it, you know? And to me, I I just think that it's just, it's an expired take. Like I I would need to see more evidence of him being incapable as compared to him being, believing what I just see from the numbers or even what I just see from the eye test, because it's like, you know, he's, he's at that level for me. Uh, And yes, he's not an elite closer, but he's again, just, kind of average um in this setting even when you compare him to pretty pretty good players um year to year and that definitely wouldn't come to these conclusions of pascal's a fraud or whatever from uh from training camp not even training camp this is not even training camp this is literally pre-training camp at a rico hines runs but listen the rico hines runs are really fun and also if you watch pascal play these runs you will see a lot of him at game point him knocking down a shot or him creating a shot getting the advantage and maybe he doesn't make the shot, but someone's wide open for a putback cause he's drawn two or he's kicking him out for three. Cause he's drawn two does it a lot, man plays good defense as well. I just don't see a reason to, to be, to be, to be uh poo pooing on him right now. Uh, speaking of no longer poo pooing on a guy, Steve Mihalik has been waived. Um, this is uh, not as, I guess not that big of a surprise. I, you know, there's a conversation about this from a lot of fans um, before this trade was, or before this move was official, um, a lot of it came down to sort of, look, he didn't play well last year. He fell out of the rotation. Um, and even though the Raptors don't have like 15 guaranteed great NBA players, but maybe you want to use that roster spot to sort of see if someone else can make it, especially because you see a lot of these guys who have been signed, whether it was at Summer League or whether it was even in these runs, they look promising. And so, you know, you do need another roster spot to sort of make that happen. And so Svi ultimately gets waived. Um, this is according to Bobby Marks. The Raptors now have 13 guaranteed contracts, three partial uh, contracts, two two-way deals, one exhibit 10 for a total of 19 deals. You can have 20 heading into training camp. Uh, and the Raptors are $1.85 million below the tax. And also they've hard capped themselves and they're $5.9 million below the hard cap. So there's a decent amount of flexibility. The Raptors will not be over the tax this year. I really, really doubt it. Maybe they trade for like a superstar, but I think that that ship was passed, right? So the team has is they're not going to go over the tax. If they sign another 
guy for training camp, which is probably what they're going to do, probably another partial guarantee, they're not going to go over the tax for that. And for good reason, by the way. You do not want the Raptors to go into tax until they're a championship-winning team. Then you can go into the tax because the, the taxes and year after year, it, it gets more punitive. Again, this is not interesting to anyone. This is not them trying to save money. This is sort of how the NBA operates. Anyway, in terms of the guaranteed deals, the 13 are Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Lee, OJ Anobi, Gary Trent Jr., Scotty Barnes, Chris Boucher, Thad Young, Precious Achua, Otto Porter Jr., Kem Birch, Malachi Flynn, Christian Coloco, and Juancho Hernan Gomez. A little surprised how Juancho got that full guarantee, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they ultimately waive him as well. It's not like you're fully married to a minimum guy, even if he is fully guaranteed. Um, your partial guarantees are Delano Banton, DJ Wilson, and Justin Champagny, who will all make more and more money. Um, uh, but ultimately, you can cut them before the start of the regular season or maybe one or two weeks into the regular season. I don't know when the specific deadlines are. Uh, and you will only you know, pay a portion of sort of their contracts, right? But basically, I had to decide uh, which of those guys will ultimately stay with your program. Uh, Jeff Doughton Jr. and Ron Harper Jr. Uh, are both on the two-way deals. So there's nothing really going to change with them. The Exhibit 10 is to Gabe Brown, who, if you've been watching these Rico Hines runs, he's the guy who has the uh, the blonde hair and uh he has been excellent in a lot of these clips very very interesting uh, again i'm not trying to take too much away from these clips but uh, the general impression is he fits he seems to be able to knock down shots decently athletic you know pretty good all around we'll see sort of what the raptors can get out of him this season maybe he doesn't ultimately go to the roster maybe he goes to the 905 but with this move of speed being waived that does open up some more possibilities in terms of another spot up is up on the roster and you know, that's another avenue potentially for Brown to serve, to, to even stick around. Um, you know, you can also see uh, another signing, which is very likely. Uh, three potential outcomes there. You can sign Jalen Harris. Um, whether that means you want to bring him to training camp and then send him to the G League. Um, to be honest, his CBL numbers are very positive uh, on the whole. He did score quite a bit, but not as efficiently as you might have liked. Uh, and also he had, I think, more turnovers than assists. This is from uh, Sean Woodley, who covers the CBL, uh, you know, as well as anybody, really. Um, and regardless, you know, you can sign Jalen Harris. Uh, you know, maybe you don't make him go to the roster, but maybe you send him to the G League, you get him a little bit extra bonus. It's not a bad idea if that's the way they want to go. Although, I, I mentioned this now in two previous episodes, but Nick Nurse did give an interview where he did say that Jalen Harris, they probably give him a chance like another year from now, sort of see how it goes. So who knows in particular, but we can see how it goes. It could also mean he stays close to the team in the 905 and, and, and gets a chance. You never know, right? Um, two other possibilities, both coming from the uh, Rico Hines runs. You just see guys like in Raptor gear who aren't actually Raptors, but uh, officially at least, but they're wearing Raptor gear and they're playing on the Raptors B team. And the two guys that you get to see in that sense, actually, I guess you can't, you haven't seen Jake Lehman play. Um, you've only just seen him in gear potentially. Maybe he's a coach or something. I don't really know. But he's 28, you know, looks fit. There's no reason why he should be retiring, but who knows. Uh, but you definitely have seen Jared Culver wear Raptors gear day after day and also play on the teams. And so potentially that could be another option there. We, I talked about Culver last week. Jake Lehman, 28 years old, been in the league a little bit, played mostly with Minnesota, um, you know, has a three-point shooting skill set, has the surprisingly athletic, the sneaky athleticism that a guy like Spee has also been credited for. Um you know, that's that's one option. Of course, you know, you can also sign someone that we haven't seen yet. Um, and uh, yeah, who knows? But in any case, training camp um, has gone, I guess, a little bit more fun because there is another roster spot available. Um, 
see when he picked up his player option for 1.9 million that seemed to suggest that he was going to play this year but uh, apparently he's going to now pursue up other opportunities uh, which is interesting to me he did pick up the money and then say i'm going to uh, you know explore the opportunities but i guess that's not too dissimilar from other people in in these sort of um scenarios so I, I i don't necessarily blame him it is just kind of funny to be like i've opted in it's his choice it's his player option to opt in and then once he opts in he's like well i gotta pursue other opportunities can you let me go it's like okay all right whatever that's it's not that important to me hopefully speaking sort of latch on elsewhere in terms of his raptor season highlights um let's see he had a 14 point game in preseason i think this was the first preseason game I think a lot of people got excited about that. Uh, he had 11 points in another preseason game. He was in the rotation at the start of the season. There was a game the Raptors played where they were banged up and they went to play New York. And I think he knocked down like a couple of threes. Uh, obviously, there was that running joke that me, well, not even a running joke, running stat that Alex was tracking, you know, because Alex is such an advanced uh, statistician and things like this when it comes to the Raptors. But uh, not in any game does V Mahalik manage to make more than two threes for the Toronto Raptors. And he did play in a significant number of games. He played 50 something games this season. He was in the rotation off the bench. He was a shooting guard off the bench in the first month of the year. Uh, and then he sort of, his saw his minutes diminish, but he had moments, right? You know, there were one-off games like that game in boxing day where Chris Boucher talks about his career changing around. You know, if Chris Boucher was 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 Shaquille O'Neal in terms of usage in that game, then Svi Mahalik was Kobe Bryant in terms of usage in that game because that was literally what the Raptors pulled up to, to Cleveland with in a game that almost decided who was going to go to the playoffs and who was going to go to the the, the uh, playing games. But in any case, um, yeah, so Svi did have opportunities to sort of hit those three threes, but he ultimately never did. But, you know, it's not to say that he didn't have any positives. Uh, I mean, he can definitely shoot. There's no doubt about this. And the uh, the warm-up report of him shooting is that he can do it. Um, but, yeah, it just didn't fully translate. But there were some positive moments. Like, I literally went back to look at some of the original 10 things that I wrote about him. Uh, this is probably in preseason. And I wrote, Svima Hylek was another pleasant surprise. He cooled off in the second half, but he was their leading scorer at halftime. Mahalik was very aggressive in attacking the defense, where he would make quick and decisive moves off the catch which allowed him to get downhill towards the basket. Clearly, his main function is to shoot threes, which he did make a pair of, but his cutting and movement also created opportunities for his teammates, and it brought an element of surprise to go along with the three-point shot. It remains to be seen if Mahalik will crack the rotation, but he could slot in nicely as a shooter off the bench. I don't think any of that was really wrong, um, but yeah, ultimately, it just did not work out. And uh, yeah, I mean, considering what the Raptors have in terms of roster depth, I wouldn't mind if they use that spot on another guard. They did waive Armani Brooks. They did let Svi go. As much as those guys weren't really going to factor in, um, those guys were like two of the few shooters Raptors have uh, at their disposal. So, you know, if they want to sign Culver, who, by the way, his history of shooting percentage-wise has been low, um, but he is a shooting guard. So if you want to give that spot to him, I wouldn't mind. But uh, ultimately, we're talking about the 20th man on the roster, and it's not going to matter too much. Last thing before I go, I wanted to touch on sort of um, – how the Raptors improved to 50 plus wins is sort of the the prevailing thought for me heading into the season. And again, there were some things that have already been highlighted. Um, I once again, Vivek Jacob on the episodes last week talked about how the Raptors, uh, you know, their performance against under 500 teams was surprisingly bad. Not that they were under 500 against them or anything, but they just didn't take care of business against bad teams the way they did, had done in, in years past. And that sort of cut down their overall record. Um, and that's a, Probably the number one thing. So I want to keep that sort of there where it is. But I also was thinking about, okay, if the Raptors are going to make this improvement, you got to look at where they were weak last year. Where did they struggle last season? 
And for me, it was, it was things like rim protection, right? The Raptors were, you know, not very good at um, preventing shots at the rim, which I think is probably the, the key thing here. It's like if you look at sort of the percentage of uh, shots that opponents took at the basket, um, you know, last season, the lowest is at like Milwaukee Bucks. They allowed 29% of their opponent shots to happen at the rim. Um, the next uh, five or the next four, I guess, to round up the top five uh, were Miami, New Orleans Pelicans, Utah Jazz, and uh, Boston Celtics. Some of those teams, I'm not surprised. Utah had obviously the the, the league's best shot blocker in uh, Rudy Gobert, and also the Boston Celtics had the other best shot blocker in the league in, in uh, Robert Williams, right? So not surprised that those teams had uh, pretty good rim um, prevention, shot prevention metrics. Um, the Raptors were 21st in the NBA. About 35% of the opponent shots were taking place around the basket. Again, that's not that much higher. Like we're talking about five percentage points um, difference between the Raptors and the Bucks at number one at 29%. However, like that does factor in quite a bit, I think. And um, yeah, I, I think that that's sort of the Raptors didn't do that great of a job of preventing opponents from shooting at the basket. In terms of actual rim protection, like in terms of when they shot at the basket, how efficiently did they shoot? Raptors actually okay. Um, they were six best uh, amongst, you know, all the teams in the NBA. It, it, six best in terms of like opponent shot 1.5 percentage points lower at the rim when they did ultimately shoot at the rim. It's not like that significant, especially considering the next like tie for six, for example, was three teams at minus 1.4%. So we're talking about like the Raptors are good, but they were closer to being just average than they were the closest to like elite, right? You got teams like the Spurs, surprisingly, at minus 3.4%. Might be a case to, you know, add Jacoperto back to the roster if they can. The Cavs, the Clippers, the Celtics are all around minus 3% um, in terms of forcing opponents to shoot 3% uh, less efficiently at the basket. But you know, Raptors are actually okay in terms of protecting that basket once they got there, but teams definitely weren't afraid to sort of take it inside against the Raptors. I don't think this is something that the Raptors are ultimately going to change. Um, this is probably more roster and personnel based than it is uh, strategy based. The Raptors actually do swarm the paint quite a bit. Um, and even though they do, I guess they do encourage you to drive in the sense that if you've noticed the way the Raptors play on the perimeter, they really like their their guards and whoever is guarding at the top, honestly, obviously forwards guard on the perimeter as well. But they like their their players to play and press up really high. And sometimes that gives up the blow by, but they almost give it the blow by uh, intentionally because they want players to play in traffic. And so ultimately, the easiest way to double team is in the middle of the floor. And so sometimes they actually do invite a lot of these um, moves to come in. And so I'm not too surprised at the Raptors. Uh, you know, didn't prevent a lot of paint shots. However, like, obviously, that is the number one most efficient shot that uh, is there for the offense is scoring at the basket. And so the Raptors still do need to find some ways around that. Um, the, the reason I say it's more personnel-based is just, like, if they had a shot blocker who consistently was able to sort of rotate on time and get to the basket and help and, um, and, and you know, deter shots, I think that's where the Raptors could probably do a little bit better. But on the whole, the Raptors defensively, they were good, uh, and they were – Decent, I would say, overall, but uh, I think it just around the rim is, is somewhere where you do feel like, okay, they are a little bit small. And yes, they did add Christian Coloco, but I do wonder how much he's going to be playing. And even if he is playing, we're talking about a second-round rookie who is going to be playing um, for a team that's making the playoffs. So I, I think those are long odds, and you know we got to exercise some patience there. 
Another thing I, 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 th- I thought about in terms of where the Raptors struggled was sort of just pace. Um, oddly enough, the Raptors are 27th overall in pace. Um, you know, it's interesting because the Raptors actually were top five in terms of frequency of possessions in transition. So I wouldn't say they played slow all the time. They definitely sped it up. They looked for transition opportunities as much as possible, and they were quite effective at doing that. Um, and they got out on the break quite a bit. They were very efficient on the break as well. But their overall pace was slow. Now, I think this question was asked to Nick at one point, and I believe, just based on my memory, I think Nick sort of pointed out sort of like, okay, if you got a lot of offensive rebounds, that sort of um, dilutes your pace because pace, in, in terms of just like as a as a stat, is sort of calculated as a percentage of um, how many possessions uh, you have, right? So if you're creating extra possessions, that maybe sort of def- inflates your pace. I, I, I guess that's possible. Um, but it is interesting in terms of like why is the half-court offense so slow, right? And And – generally why is the half court offense so inefficient because i think that's the one thing where even though the raptors had a decent offense overall basically came up to about league average at the end of the season um half court offense was still fairly bad for them and so it's sort of just like does that tie into the fact that they're really slow is them being slow the reason why their half court offense is bad or is the half court offense being bad because they can generate shots very easily in the half court is that the reason why they're slow in the half court uh, i'm not really sure in terms of the causation and the the correlation there but in any case um yep yeah, they could probably speed up their half court offense just a little bit i think you see a lot of these sets where the raptors sort of go into these like three-man weaves which you know is not unusual the raptors uh, are not hardly at all any of the in terms of the only teams to sort of run a lot of three-man actions um, a lot of nick offense is sort of based on three-man actions when you really break it down, but really, um, you know, there are my only pet peeve, and this is just strictly on the eye test. I I don't know how you would specifically get stats on this. I'm sure there are, but I can't find them myself is sort of just like seeing them like, okay, Fred has brought the ball up half or like, let's say, I don't know, whoever got the rebound brings the ball up half. That's, that's pretty standard, right? So like Chris Boucher rips down a rebound, brings it to the front court. Uh, the opponents have stopped the fast break. And so he, he looks on the wing left. Okay, Fred, I'm going to kick the ball to Fred. Then uh, after, he, you know, Chris has given up the ball, he cuts to the corner or he cuts to, um, you know, the baseline and, and waits sort of spaces out. Right. And then it's like, OK, Fred has the ball. He waits for a screen to come from, let's say, Scotty Barnes. And then he comes off that screen on the other side of the floor. Pascal sort of lift up. Fred swings the ball to Pascal. Then Pascal comes off another screen. And it's sort of just like that sort of swinging back and forth and that sort of like weaving motion to me, that's like. I, there is a purpose of that. Absolutely. The idea is to sort of find gaps in the defense and sort of confuse the defense. Sometimes even when it looks like you're just swinging the ball aimlessly and, and rotating the ball aimlessly, what you're actually doing is scrambling to help defense underneath. And so I'm not saying there's no reason for this. Just as a fan, though, watching it sometimes, I'm just like, oh, not this again. Like, what what's this really going to do when you guys are just sort of like pitching the ball back and forth along the three-point line? None of you guys are really going to shoot it unless it's Fred touching the ball. It's It doesn't seem as, as um, productive. It's sort of just like, let's space out get the ball to the point guard, one screen, come out to pick and roll, make a read. Either he's going to shoot or score. He's going to find the dump uh, off pass to the roller, or he's going to kick out to three. Like, I don't know. The Raptors just didn't run a lot of that. In fact, I, when you look at the overall numbers, the Raptors just didn't run a lot of pick and rolls in general. So those are things to sort of maybe look at and sort of just like a half-court offense has to become better. And honestly, part of that getting better might just be them running it faster because their half-court, their pace overall is quite slow. And then I think the most important thing, and this is probably the area that the Raptors need to improve on the most, and that's something that Nick immediately identified after the end of last season, was just their shot spectrum has to improve, right? 
the Raptors in terms of the shot spectrum, it, you know, in terms of just efficiency of shooting, um, shots at the rim. Actually, no, sorry. Free throws absolutely are actually the most two free throws or two or three, I guess, but definitely two free throws are the most efficient play. Um, past that, it's shots at the basket, right, within three feet. Then after that, it's corner threes. Then after that, it's top of the floor threes, above the break threes. Then it's uh, shots in the paint, but not within the restricted area. So you think about Pascal spinning and putting up the low floater or Scotty Barnes cutting, flashing, and then catching the ball, turn around, floater. That kind of range, floater range, let's say. Not at the basket, not a layup, but a floater. Um, and then least efficient shot is mid-range shots. The Raptors actually, in terms of mid-range attempts per game, they took 13 attempts per game. They were fifth in the NBA in terms of the most mid-range attempts. Those are the most difficult shots with the least um, highest outcomes. And so that is a little bit surprising to me. When you look at um, the other teams ahead of them, you know, you got Chicago, who was number one in the league, which is not a surprise. When you signed Amarta Rosen, you've signed up to be the number one mid-range shooting team. They shot at a 45% in the mid-range. Phoenix, with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, two elite shooters, 45% from the mid-range. I'm not surprised if they shot a lot of mid-range. Brooklyn, another team that has stars like a KD, like a Kyrie, like a James Harden even, although Harden doesn't do the mid-range too much these days. But 47% from the mid-range, those guys are stars. You give them the ball. The Clippers, a little surprising, 38% from the mid-range. A lot of that was... You know, they were fourth in attempts in terms of from the mid-range, which is surprising considering Kawhi wasn't even there last year and Paul George barely played. But then again, when you break it down, it's like, okay, their shot creators were like Marcus Morris, and he loves to go in the mid-range. So it's not too much of a surprise. The Raptors are also 38% in the mid-range, just like the Clippers, but just percentage-wise, just too low for, for a shot that they're taking 13 times a game. You're taking 13, 38% shots at, in a game that's probably not the most efficient way to do it i think ideally you would sort of cut that back however you have to acknowledge that there are guys in the team that do like the mid-range pascal you do need the mid-range because you need him to be able to sort of counter when defense is completely uh, packed the paint also you got to factor in if he's driving like 20 times a game and seeing double teams he's probably gonna get tired he's probably gonna have to settle for some of those shots that's fine you had, you, it's understandable. Maybe it's not fine, but it's understandable that he takes some mid-range shots. Plus, he's worked on it as well. He's improved in that front. Gary Trent Jr., I would say, is another major contributor to the mid-range games. He was definitely looking... Um, one of his go-to plays is, okay, if he attacks a closeout, probably he wants to go to the sidestep. But if the sidestep is also not an option for him, sometimes he likes to just attack and get downhill, maybe even off a screen. Uh, and then he likes to go to that left elbow and then sort of fade away for that mid-range shot. Very good at it. I shot a pretty decent percentage as well, um, but that's one of his shots. I don't necessarily think that he needs to cut that out in particular, but I think where they need to cut out is like um, Fred getting to the mid-range and pulling up. Like, it, I mean, he can make it. There's no doubt he can make those. He's even closed a, a couple games making those, but over the course of the game, when we're talking about first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, I just want to see the ball continue to move. If he drives, drive, touch the paint, and then kick out. Don't necessarily go for the mid-range shot. And then the other guy who doesn't need to do the mid-range anymore is OG. Like, I just don't want to see OG attacking off the screen and getting to the mid-range and pulling up or him in the post, turnaround, jumper, mid-range. There was a surprising number of those last year. And and those are the shots that are, to me, like, if we just cut those out, and we're talking about maybe one or two per game, cut those out and get some better efficient shots. I think your shot selection probably improves. And I think the other thing, too, is just the Raptors also shot the fifth most non-paint rim uh or non-rim paint shots which again is those that floater range as compared to that that layup range uh the Raptors shot 19 of those per game memphis was first phoenix was second san antonio was third okc was uh 
fourth Raptors were fifth in terms of most um, non-rim paint shots. I guess Florida range sounds so much cooler than non-rim paint shots, but that one is not a surprise to me. That's just a function of Pascal and the way he plays, the function of, and, and, and Scotty Barnes' function. Those guys are both very comfortable in that range. As long as those two guys shooting those, I'm fine with. Uh, and the Raptors did shoot about 42% on those, which is okay. I mean, the league average range is about 50% to 38%, so on the lower end of it. But, you know, those are guys who are creating advantages and trying to go for their shots. Those are their shots. You could say on the abstract, yes, you want it, you don't want them to take 19 of these per game. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that if you want your best uh, shot creators to create their shots, they have to all, sometimes shoot that actual shot that they're looking to go to, their go-to shots. And so this one I'm less concerned about. But overall, I think the Raptors' shot spectrum can improve. I don't think they've added too much three-point shooting outside of adding a guy like Otto Porter, who is going to fit in nicely. Um, but, you know, still, I, I think that, uh, you know, you take away a couple of the mid-range shots, maybe say, okay, a couple of these non-paint twos, maybe kick out instead of, like, going for those little floaters or hook shots. But uh, ultimately, you know, there are some minor adjustments to be made in the offense. I think also that size of the half-court offense being slow. I think if you give yourself more time, you have, in terms of running your actions a little bit earlier, then you probably ISO a lot less because ISOs probably happen. You're like, okay, there's five, six seconds left on the clock. I'm not really going to try to go to the other flow and the other option off the flow set or whatever. I'm just going to go break the offense and go get a shot because otherwise we're going to turn the ball over. Um, Yeah, I think... You know, there there are some things in terms of improving the offense as a whole. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those are probably the more tangible things in terms of how they can sort of improve. Obviously, the rim protection wasn't a strength. Their, their pace of game wasn't a strength in the half court, and their shot spectrum wasn't ideal. But on the whole, like, I think, again, just going back to what Bebek said, like, I, I do think that uh, taking care of business against bad teams is probably going to be their best course of action. Um as for me, though, the best course of action is probably going to end this solo pod because uh, I probably will have a lot more to say <laughs> in the banter pod with Alex. Again, I'm going to record that probably on Tuesday of this week and then put that out on Wednesday. So look for the episode there. But in the meantime, thanks everyone for listening. Not much going on in Raptorland, um, but if there is anything that happens, anything substantial, I will be around to sort of talk about it. Just like how Svi got cut then all of a sudden you know you see this solo pod show up in your feed but otherwise rate review subscribe the summer continues the offseason continues and uh check back later in the week for more of that banter pod content if you are interested in non-basketball conversations which is pretty much what it is at this point people know